Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Minnesota finds its way into the upside-down world of the hugely popular Netflix show Stranger Things, the U of M's battle for the Little Brown Jug, and a commentary on self-driving vehicles. But first, in late July, Minnesota replaced the state's online system for driver and vehicle licenses. Since the rollout, a number of glitches in the system have created long lines and delays at Minnesota DMVs and auto dealerships across the state. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. The ripple effects of this late July rollout are still being felt in November. Joining me now is Scott Lambert, president of the Minnesota Automobile Dealers Association. Scott, I understand you've gotten countless complaints over the past few months. Yeah, it's been real uh, disappointing. Uh, The state spent eight years and $90 million uh, creating this system. Uh, They rolled it out this summer. It was, it was, by our estimation, probably 70% complete. Uh, a lot of transfers uh, that, that we conduct uh, can't get done, and a lot of transfers that can get done are being done very slowly. Um, it, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a botched rollout, and uh, it's starting, frankly, to impact consumers now who are wondering why they can't get their titles. Uh, the state, by their own admission, is uh, 79 days behind. In, in issuing titles, uh, if you bought your car in mid-August or September, you probably still don't have your title yet to your, to your vehicle. And, you know, when you're talking to the different dealerships across the state, um, I mean, how are they handling it? Are their customers pretty angry with them, or are they accepting that it's the state's problem? Uh, it's been very frustrating. Uh, customers come in uh, wondering why they haven't gotten the titles uh, to, their, to their vehicles. We try and explain to them that it's a state program that is supposed to be processing these, and we get different levels of understanding uh, uh, to that uh, from consumers, and, and we can't blame consumers who are mad or upset. They don't have something that says they own the car. It's not certainly not their fault, but we want them to understand it's not our fault either. So do you feel things are pretty much back to normal at this point? Well, no, there's still, there are still tra- basic transfers, specialty plates. Uh, if you've got a specialty plate or a vanity plate and you want to put it on your new car purchase, uh, we are unable to do that transfer right now. All right, Scott, well, hold tight. I'm going to check back with you here in a few minutes. Joining me now is Jill Salmonson. She's a deputy registrar from Glenwood. Uh, she says she wishes the old system could have remained in place while the bugs in the new system were worked out. In our office, we had a, a guy that was here for an hour and a half. He was just trying to renew his tab, but it wouldn't let us renew him because it kept going into an air, and you can't go any further, and that's how the money is processed. I know you've been very frustrated at trying to move past the airs. They could tell us to talk to our IT. Well, I don't have IT. It's me and another gal here, and we can't do it. We don't know what to do with this. We both left in tears yesterday. And have you heard from other registrars across the state? We try to get a hold of the state, and I know they're overwhelmed with phone calls from all the deputy registers because there have to be hundreds throughout the state, and it's just not our office. We were told Rochester, Wilmer, down in the Twin Cities, there's so many. Thanks, Jill. And joining me now again is Scott Lambert, president of the Minnesota Automobile Dealers Association. Scott, now... 
uh, switching gears a bit, despite all of these DMV glitches, how are automobile sales across the state looking in general? Uh, it kind of depends on, on where you're at. I think overall we're having a good year. I think the last numbers I saw, we were up probably 5%. I think the farm economy is impacting uh, truck sales in greater Minnesota uh, regions. So, and, I, and by that I mean in a bad way, because uh, the farm economy is down a little bit, and that, that impacts uh, our, our sales. So we'll end this year. My guess is we'll end this year maybe a little bit up from last year, uh, which, would, which would be fine. So, uh, but we're certainly not in any boom, uh, but we're not in any bust right now either. Meanwhile, Governor Mark Dayton says the state's new online system for driver and vehicle licenses is still significantly better than the old one, despite the ongoing problems it's having. Dayton notes the scope of the system is huge, with 165,000 applications processed in one week. Some private companies that probably wisely roll something out in a very small location first and then see if there are glitches and then correct those. You know, this one started out its entire state. Republicans are urging Dayton to shift the state's IT resources to address problems more quickly. They launched a website to gather constituent input and forward it to the state. Dayton calls the website a farce and says Republicans are not interested in helping anybody and simply want to use the problems for their political advantage. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. A piece of vintage clothing tied to Minnesota featured in Netflix's popular Stranger Things Season 2 is creating a stir at the Science Museum of Minnesota. In the second season's first episode, a popular character is wearing a Science Museum of Minnesota brontosaurus sweatshirt from the 1980s when the show takes place. Now, demand for the hooded sweatshirt, which has long since been unavailable, is sky high. I spoke with the Science Museum's Kim Ramsden about this strange phenomenon. The Science Museum is on an unexpected thrill ride uh, to meet the demand for a sweatshirt of uh, a vintage uh, 1980s museum dinosaur, Brontosaurus uh, exhibit. We had sold the sweatshirt uh, in our gift shop in the early 80s, and uh, a version of that shirt has ended up on the popular Stranger Things uh, television show that's on Netflix. And so when the shirt appeared on screen uh, during the season two debut on Friday, uh, we had fans tweet and uh, send us Facebook messages, uh, you know, with the shout out, very excited to see their, um, their, you know, favorite science museum featured in the show. And uh, our social team right away responded, um, to share our excitement and also say uh, that we would love to be able to, A, have one and sell them <laughs> because we could see, um, you know, online that there's uh, a huge demand um, within minutes of seeing the sweatshirt that people said, I, I got to have one too. So uh, so we've really been riding this wave of um, attention and we're completely excited and delighted to do it. Uh, but to be able to create, recreate that authentic sweatshirt uh, and, and make it available online, uh, the show is so popular that, of course, it has fans internationally. 
Um, we have science museum fans internationally. And for us as a museum, we traditionally only sell items out of our uh, museum in-store gift store retail operation. And so we're learning how to uh, run an online store and find a partner uh, to do that. So that's been our kind of our Monday <laughs> Monday agenda is to be able to meet the demand um, for this Stranger Things sweatshirt with the Science Museum logo. And uh, on, I'm asking for myself as well as listeners who are interested, but when might they be available? So the Science Museum is working to make sure that we can have the, the sweatshirt available this week. Uh, we are kind of doing the final touches to be able to process orders. So, uh, so you can, as a fan, sign up on the Science Museum's website, uh, www.smm.org. Uh, it, to, to be one of the first on an email list for when they uh, become available. Uh, but we will also be making an announcement as well. So I, so uh, Science Museum fans who, who want to be able to purchase a sweatshirt through us uh, won't have to wait too long. We, we expect to have it up in the next few days. Uh, now, Kim, fans of the show know that it mostly takes place in Indiana, and so I'm curious if you have any any sense of the backstory as far as how this character came to wear this particular sweatshirt that touts the Science Museum of Minnesota. We wish we did know more of the backstory. It was a surprise to us to see the character wearing our sweatshirt. We know that the characters in the show have... Uh, appeared in Wisconsin and other sort of Midwest, um, you know, there's been Midwest apparel uh, or other um, I- iconic signs. People were talking about sort of the, the Mondale-Nixon election signs that are in the show. So, so we don't have that connection yet. I, I think that's another part of the story that we're hoping to explore is what, is there someone maybe within their production department or a costume designer with a connection to Minnesota uh, or was it just a coincidence? Uh, but, you know, being in Indiana, it might not be uh, such a far fetch for him to, you know, for the character to have traveled to Minnesota uh, to a science museum, maybe on a family field trip. <laughs> uh, we, you know, we did have a uh, traveling exhibit that featured the Brontosaurus in, in the early 80s. And so that, that shirt, you know, that could have been, uh, been out there for, for real. So they're pretty authentic on that, on that piece. Well, it's a, just a, a very amusing story to me as a fan of the show, and uh, I certainly would like to be able to follow up with you, of course, after uh, the sweatshirts become available again. And uh, th- this becoming a story right ahead of Halloween is just perfect. So uh, probably run the story in the morning. Hopefully the sweatshirts won't be made available between you know now and tomorrow. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, yes, no, no. But I really appreciate you making yourself available on short notice here. And is there anything else you wanted to add, Kim? Oh, thank you, Scott. Uh, no, uh, n- nothing other than, uh, you know, for us at the museum, we often hear adults say that, you know, a museum visit as a kid was something that they, you know, truly remember and they get nostalgic about and they have these fond memories. And so I think the show, if you're a fan of the show, you know that, you know, 80s, 1980s nostalgia is, is sort of like a big piece of that. And I, so for us, we can kind of see that natural connection to uh, maybe loving museums or dinosaurs as a kid and watching the show, which makes you think of the 80s and all these things from childhood. So, so we're just really delighted uh, by the connection and by the attention that people are excited about 
seeing a science museum shout out. And I have to ask, are you a fan of the show? Are you a watcher of the show? I can tell you that I am a huge fan of the show. Uh, I am also, I am a child of the 80s, and I love uh, the references. I think the characters are sweet. And uh, I, but I have been busy this weekend <laughs> with with this sweatshirt, and I look forward to being able to kind of sit down and maybe binge, uh, binge this season when it slows down. Thank you to my guest, the Science Museum's Kim Ramston. Let's hope those hoodies are ready for purchase by the holiday shopping season. And if anyone is interested, I do have it on my wish list for this year. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The U of M football team visits the University of Michigan in college football this weekend. The two teams play for college football's oldest rivalry trophy, the Little Brown Jug. The last time the Gophers visited Ann Arbor, they won the jug. That was in 2014, and Rosemont native John Bjorklund was the first to find and raise the jug to the sky after the game. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with Bjorklund this week and reminisced about that game and found out the continued connection Bjorklund has with Gopher Athletics. Obviously, your name will forever be linked to the Little Brown Jug. You're uh, up to uh, now. You're the last guy who's been able to get it for the Golden Gophers. How often? These many years later, what, three years later, does that still come up in conversation, say, during a, a, an average uh, a visit or somewhere over the course of a week? Does anybody bring that up still? Uh, I'd say it doesn't come up too often, which is kind of nice for me. I'm, I like to consider myself a humble guy, so I don't, I don't like talking about it too much. So luckily it doesn't come up very often, but uh, if I ever see a Michigan fan, I definitely let them know about it. <laughs> Take me back to that day. I mean, what a cool day. Um, it was just a couple years removed from when the Gophers did not have a lot of luck in that building, and uh, and Jerry Kill and the whole gang came back, and I think it was your first game in a while. You'd been suffering an injury. Yep. Uh, pretty pretty uh, neat day. Yeah, it was awesome. Like you said, we didn't have a whole lot of luck luck in that building. The previous few years, I think my true freshman year, we lost there 58 to nothing. Um, we went there the year before and lost by a few touchdowns. It wasn't, wasn't real good. And then we we went in and we we just we were just feeling good. We knew we knew we were going to win. We we just the whole week of practice we knew that we were going to go in there and win. And it was funny because like you said, I was suffering an injury, so uh, I hadn't had a whole lot of game experience. And it was my first game that I knew that I was actually going to get a whole lot of game experience. And I, I mean, I was in shape. I worked out all summer and everything like that. But game game shape is different than than summer workout shape. So it was a little bit different. So I got in and. I struggled through and did my best, and luckily, even though I didn't think I played terribly well, uh, all the coaches said I played well. It's 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 nicer when you don't play well and you still win. You were the first guy to get the jug, and what you just talked about, if memory serves me correct, part of the reason you were the guy to get the jug was just what you talked about. You were a little bit too tired to chase it, right? Which is kind of a bizarre way to get the jug. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, like I said, I, I wasn't in the greatest of game shape at that at that point. So, uh, as the the clock started to tick to zero, all of the other guys, we were we were in victory formation at that point, and all the offensive guys like Mitch and Max and Zach Epping and all those guys, they start taking off uh, to the south side of the field. We were on the far north side. They start taking off to the south side of the field, and I'm like, oh man, I'll I'll catch up later. I'll find it later. So I'm just walking, and all of a sudden I look over to the Michigan sideline, and I see one of their equipment managers reaching into a box, and all of a sudden he pulls out the jug box, and I'm like, oh, wow, it's right there. So I did nice and nonchalant, just moseyed on over to the sideline, opened up the box, lifted it up, 
still was too tired to do anything. So by the time everybody else got there to me, they pulled it out of my hands. I was like, whatever, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> That's a pretty good story. No doubt about it. Um, take our listeners through what you're up to now, because I think that is also a pretty cool story. You uh, went from being in this building where we're taping this interview, where uh, you spent your years as a gopher football player, sweat, blood, and tears, as they say. And now you spend all your time in this same building, but in a much different role. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I, I graduated uh, at the University of Minnesota with a, a construction management degree and went on to work for Mortensen Construction, which is what I'm doing now. And we just happened to uh, be building the new Athletes Village, which is awesome. So it worked out pretty succinctly to where I graduated and was able to hop right onto that project. Um, been here since January of 2016 and plan on being done here with the project here in January 2018. How nice, I mean, it's starting to shape up. Like you say, we're about 60 days out from this baby opening. Uh, how nice is it going to be? Because you're getting to see some things that the general public's not seeing right now. Oh, it's it's going to be nice. It's going to be one of the be- one of the best in the Big Ten. I mean, some people people don't actually understand how, how much it actually helps with recruiting and getting guys here, but it it's definitely going to bring us to the top of the Big Ten. As you look at the plans and see how this thing's unfolding, do you have a favorite part of it or a couple favorite things that you can kind of give us a, a sneak description of? <laughs> I don't want to give too much away, but I'll, I'll let you know that uh, the, the football locker room's pretty nice. Uh, the, the new basketball courts for men's and women's are awesome. I, I didn't even play basketball. I'm not much of a basketball guy. I was an old lineman, so <laughs> running up and down the court isn't my thing, but it's, it's, it's nice, nice areas. And then there'll also be, of course, a nutrition area, new weight rooms and all of that. How important is that as a former athlete now thinking to the current student athletes to have, uh, and all student athletes, not just football players, to have that, uh, the, the access to the academics, to the nutrition, to career building, to the weight room, all that? Oh, it's huge. I mean, to have everything right there in one building is going to make it so much easier. I mean, as a, as a student athlete, you don't have a whole lot of time to, to, to waste. And so to have your, your leadership center where – once you once you get to the point that I was at where I'm like I there's a chance I may go pro but it, it's a it's a small chance I need to start figuring out what I'm going to do after this because those scholarship checks stop coming once I stop playing so having that there is awesome you still stay around obviously you're working here every day but you're also getting I know you're doing some work you get to still kind of as a former player get to work out in the strength and conditioning room here get on the treadmill or what have you how much have you gotten to know PJ Fleck and the coaching and the new coaching staff and what is your impression of uh, the direction it's headed you know, I, I haven't got to know know him too much. I gave PJ a tour of the village once or twice, and he seems like a great guy. He seems like a great coach. I mean, they they just seem they just seem like they they really click with with the new type of the new the new school of college football. You know, it it's it's a different even even from when I played and I was getting recruited. It was more old school, hard nose. This is how things are. It doesn't matter about anything else. It's just what it is. Now he, he, does it, he does it in a different way. He, he connects with, with the younger guys and gets them going, and they're super pumped up all the time. And I, it's fun to see. I mean, it would have been fun to play for him. Very good. Always great to see you, and uh, really looking forward to January when uh, they cut the ribbon on this thing. Good. I, I'm hoping you can be there. I'll be there. Sounds good. Thanks, Joe. You bet. That's Joe Bjorkland with MN's Mike Grimm. Minnesota Matters will return after this.
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The headline presentation at the state of Minnesota's recent Toward Zero Death Traffic Safety Conference was on autonomous or self-driving vehicles. Not surprising given all the attention the computer-controlled cars have been receiving of late and how some tout them as a way to someday possibly reduce death to near zero on the nation's roads. Where is Minnesota on this initiative? MNN's Bill Werner talked with MnDOT State Traffic Engineer Jay Hippus. MnDOT uh, has recently um, entered into a contract with a company called uh, Easy Mile. So we, the bus is actually has just recently arrived here in Minnesota. Uh, it's kind of going through its setup and, and, and uh, configuration right now. But um, this is kind of a level four, a small electric shuttle. Um, so one of the things that we want to do with autonomous vehicles is see how these can work in the winter weather conditions. You see a lot of the testing that's happening around the country. It's mostly happening in the, the southern states. And we thought, you know, Minnesota is a lot different than operating on a bright, sunny day in California or Nevada or Arizona. So what happens when these vehicles would start to show up on uh, Minnesota's roadway network? So part of our project is to bring it up to our mid-road facility and run this bus through a series of um, winter weather conditions. So we're going to have snow-covered roads. We're going to have blowing snow. We're going to have salt on the road. And just kind of get that first kind of flavor of how these vehicles would react in a, in a winter, uh, winter weather condition. We're also looking at bringing it down to the Super Bowl for a few days, too, and letting the public have a chance to see the vehicle and, and experience an autonomous vehicle ride. I assume when you, when you test these vehicles initially, when they test this bus initially, you do it in a, in a remote area to see how it reacts. Or do you actually take it out into traffic? Or, I mean, describe to us how you, how you then protect other people, you know, and, until we're absolutely sure that these work correctly. Oh, yes. Yep. Uh, this would be on a, it's, it's our mid-road road research facility. It's up uh, near Monticello uh, along I-94. It's not actually on the interstate where we'll be testing this. We actually have a closed loop, a two-and-a-half-mile loop, that we just typically operate a, a, a truck for pavement loadings. So we're going to close down the track entirely when we have the bus out there for, for the testing. So there won't be any interaction with the, the public or traffic at all. Um, for this type of autonomous vehicle, um, there's still a long ways to go before these vehicles are uh, ready to operate uh, safely in a winter weather condition. So we want to make sure it's a safe test that we can evaluate it before it gets anywhere close to real road. Yeah, and, and you actually alluded to my next question, and that is how soon. We see, I, I think, some states are getting pretty close to deploying these, at least from the media reports. Uh, is that correct? But is Minnesota going to be more cautious about it than that? Yeah, there there's, there's different levels of autonomous vehicles. Some states put these uh, little shuttles, they're maybe starting to deploy them in very limited areas. For example, the shuttle that we have, uh, it basically operates on a closed, fixed loop. So what we do is we map that, that course for that vehicle, and it follows that, that one continuous path. So you're not able to get inside of that vehicle and say, take me to downtown Minneapolis. The, the vehicle's not set up to operate that way. It's more of a, a, a closed loop that you've pre-programmed into the vehicle. That's MnDOT's state traffic engineer, Jay Hippus. So I thought about all the things that little onboard computer with electronic eyes and a silicon brain would have to watch if it were actually driving the streets of downtown Minneapolis. Pull out of the parking ramp. Stop so I don't run over the pedestrians hugging walls so they don't get splashed by rain. Okay, I see the bus coming from the left before I make my turn. There's a woman crossing in the middle of the block with her nose in her smartphone. I have no idea what I am supposed to do at this intersection. There is a do not enter sign. There's a no right turn sign, a no left turn sign, and a light rail train is coming right at me. 
Guess I'll stay where I am. Okay, that has gone by. Make the next turn. I saw that bicycle come up on my left, narrowly missed the skateboarder, then make a right turn in front of me. That I did not like. Here comes the police car. He is not chasing the bicyclist, however, but rather another driver who's texting while applying makeup. The ambulance and the fire truck following close behind, but they are going around the block to where a motorcycle hit a pedal pub. Among the casualties, 50 gallons of microbrew right into the gutter. Also, there are calling cards from the police mounted patrol's stallions, which proceed to get splashed all over the side of my car. But at least the windows are not open. Now, the real problem here, I think, is that we, as heirs of a great continent and a privileged position in the world, have somehow come to expect that our birthright, the true and rightful state of things in America, is for us to be able to go wherever we want to go, at the exact moment we wish to go, without anyone getting in our way. And perhaps we hope that someday soon, these computers will be able to restore that state of youth for us, so that we no longer are distracted by driving and can focus on making all the money necessary to finance the vast infrastructure and those clever devices so we can again have the freedom of the open road in the United States of America. Bill Werner on the Minnesota News Network. Thank you, Bill. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.